These cherished ceremonies are for me annual rituals of renewal. I come to these academies across America with a sense of awe, humility, and envy. Awe that the American dream is so fully realized in these environs where the working class and the privileged mingle in common pursuit of learning and advancement, where immigrants fresh from foreign lands have equal claim to economic opportunity and rule of law in our great system, and if they choose, they have the privilege of taking their newfound skills back home. I'm also humbled by the sacrifices of so many who have helped you to this promising place in your lives, your family, your teachers, and some that you may not have considered this moment. There are, as we gather here, young men and women in uniform, in harm's way, in far-off places, who are dedicating their lives to your security, and you must remember them as well on this occasion. I'm also envious of what you carry from here. More than the degree or honors, what you will come to treasure are the friendships and the fellowship, some of which will accompany you the rest of your years. I envy you the experience of exploring new frontiers of knowledge while rediscovering the ancient truths. Most of all, I envy you the road ahead. The 21st century, with its transformational technology, emerging democracies, developing economies, shifting power centers, and yes, cultural conflicts demanding great attention. These are the themes of commencement speeches across the broad spectrum of campuses this spring, and I am fully prepared to expand on them momentarily. But first, I am compelled to offer somewhat lofty, somewhat less lofty, but useful observations. You have been hearing all of your life that this occasion is a big step into what is called the real world. What, you may ask, is that real world all about? What is this new life? Ladies and gentlemen of the class of 2005 at Emory, real life is not college. Real life is not high school. Here is a secret that no one has told you. Real life is junior high. <laughs> the world that you're about to enter is filled with junior high adolescent pettiness, pubescent rivalries, the insecurities of 13-year-olds, and the false bravado of 14-year-olds. Forty years from now, I guarantee it, you will still make a silly mistake every day. You will have temper tantrums, and your feelings will be hurt for some trivial slight. You'll say something dumb at the wrong time, and you will wonder at least once a week, will I ever grow up? You can change that. In your pursuit of your passions, always be young. In your relationship with others, always be a grown-up. Set a standard and stay faithful to it. In this new life, you'll also have to think about money in a new way. Life, after all, is not an ATM. Now you have to earn the money. 
Think about how you can hang on to some of it. And if you're fortunate, use the money that is beyond what you need to save a life, to save a neighborhood, to save the world. You may be, may, may be surprised to learn that it is that use of money that is the most satisfying and gratifying. In our family, where we began with no money, we like to say that we have discovered that God invented money so those who have it can help others. Moreover, while money helps, it is discounted somehow if it doesn't carry your full personal value and commitment. A few years ago, in a ceremony similar to this, I declared, it's easy to make a buck, but it's tough to make a difference. A father of one of the graduates, a Wall Street success, wrote to me suggesting a rewrite of that line. He said, it's tough to make a buck, but if you make a lot of bucks, you can make a hell of a difference. A or B, you decide, because there is no wrong answer. But before you get to that, let's assign your class a marker and explore the consequences. The marker, of course, is 9-11, the terrorist attack on America, the worst single physical assault in this nation's history. You are the class of 9-11. You have the dizzying experience of entering college as your country was beginning a shooting war, as a clash of cultures and ideals was altering political and economic and spiritual landscapes far beyond these leafy environs. You found sanctuary here and the comforting certainty that if you played by the rules, this important passage in your life would be successfully completed in four years. Alas, there is not a comparable orderliness about the other passage, the rough ride as a result of the horrific events of 9-11. We are still working our way across open water, forced to navigate by the stars as the old navigational charts are of little use to us. Our destination remains uncertain. Some seas have been rougher than expected. Certain forecasts prove to be perilously wrong and unexpected currents keep pushing us closer to dangerous shoals or directions not of our choosing. It is time, as they say at sea, for all hands to be on deck, for this is a common journey and it requires a common effort and the collective wisdom of the crew and passengers alike. Your individual dreams and plans will be seriously compromised if the ship of state is allowed to drift or steer a hazardous course. We cannot pretend that simply because there has not been another 9-11 that the world is as it once was. We are not near the end of this epic struggle between the Western ideal of the rule of law, tolerance, pluralism, and modernity, and the advocates of a crazed vision of Islam. We cannot wish away the complex set of conditions that fuel a rage across a broad band of the globe where too many young men and young women your age are caught in a crossfire of claims on their faith and another way of life playing out on the ever wider screens that reflect the images of a world that they don't understand of unveiled women and material excess, secular joy, disconnected from their lives of deprivation and uncertainty. They don't represent 
the whole world of Islam, but they represent a great band of Islam. They are not incidental to the world that you are entering. They are the fastest growing population in an already overcrowded part of the world where self-determination is at best a work in progress, or at best a faint rumor or a distant promise. For most of the 20th century, Christianity represented 30% of the world's population, and Islam represented about 20% in the closing days. By the year 2025, those numbers will change. Many of those young people, and I have encountered them in Afghanistan and Pakistan and Saudi Arabia, in the universities in Baghdad, in Indonesia, understand our culture and speak our language. But to them, we show no interest in returning the favor. So many of them love the idea of America, but hate our government, envy our freedoms, and deeply resent what they see as our sense of entitlement. The worst among them had to be punished, and the fight goes on. But no army can conquer them all or force them all to change. So as you leave here in pursuit of your dreams, try to imagine their dreams. Stand tall. Don't apologize for what you have or what you believe in, but get to know what they don't have and why. Take the lead in establishing a common ground between generations, a common ground of appreciation and understanding, a shared destiny of self-determination and